This morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 29 through verse 31. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 29. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His Word. For gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks that You have given to us Your Word. It is our only infallible rule for faith and life, and it gives us instruction as to how we might live and, and serve You. And it also reveals to us the reason for our great hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray, Father, for Your Spirit to be active, going forth with Your Word, reaching deep into our hearts, bringing about a great and abundant fruit for Your glory. We ask, Father, for Your blessing upon Your Holy Word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the past 2,000 years, or almost 2,000 years, ever since Jesus rose from the dead in victory and then ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father, faithful Christians have eagerly awaited His promised return. In fact, one of the cornerstones of our faith is the great hope that we have that Jesus will one day come to judge the living and the dead and bring His people into the fullness of the salvation that He has secured for us. And we press on in this hope because of the truth revealed to us in the Word of God, because of the promises that Jesus made, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us that keeps our hearts focused upon Him. But it's possible that even with all this, we can sometimes get discouraged. We get discouraged by all that we see going on in the world around us. We wonder, well, how much longer is it going to be? Because we can't imagine things getting any worse than what they are. We may even begin to doubt. To doubt whether Jesus is coming at all. Or maybe we've missed it. Or maybe there's something that we've misunderstood. Well, it's at such times that we need to remind ourselves of what we know to be true. That God is sovereign. And that He has a perfect plan and purpose which He's working out in His perfect timing. And since, of course, He's infinite and we're finite, we know that to Him a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. 
And so we must remain steadfast and faithful as we continue to look forward to and anticipate Jesus' return. Perhaps even praying frequently as the Apostle John at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus answers the disciples' questions in verse 3. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now remember, he's already addressed some general signs of the coming of the end of the age. Wars and famines, disasters, and the arrival of false prophets. As well as some specifics about the coming destruction of the temple, which will be, of course, a picture of the judgment to come at the end of the age. But now he focuses on his own second coming on the last great day and the signs that will precede this culminating event of human history. And though the signs that Jesus gives further uh, describe turbulence and upheaval on on a cosmic scale that will bring great fear and terror to those in the world at the time, he also reassures that for his people, even for us who believe in him for salvation, Jesus looks to reassure us That when He does come, it will be a time of great blessing. And so we ought to look forward to it anxiously with great joy and hope. Well, Jesus begins with signs that will come just before His return and after the time of great tribulation that we must endure up to that point. In verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now the first thing I want us to note here is the phrase, those days. To what days is Jesus referring to? Now, some might go back to what Jesus was just, just describing in the previous verses about the destruction of Jerusalem. So that these final signs and His coming in power and glory would happen immediately after those days. That is, after the destruction of uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. But those days doesn't need to be restricted to this time period. In fact, it's likely that it only refers back to the events of 70 A.D. as they stood as a precursor of the judgment to come at the end of the age. As Jesus goes on to describe these cataclysmic signs involving the sun, the moon, and the stars, we know that these things didn't happen immediately after the events of 70 A.D. Now, Jesus' use of those days is taken from Old Testament prophetic language. In fact, as we'll soon see, all of what Jesus says in these three verses is either a direct quote or an allusion to or the purposeful use of language that is found throughout the Old Testament prophets to speak of coming judgment on nations at the time as well as a future final judgment to come. Those days is simply a way to speak of the end times or uh, the culmination of events just before the end. And so this is how Jesus is using it here. 
And even though we read the word immediately here, well, there's, there's no clear sense of duration. Since the tribulation Jesus promised in the, in the Olivet Discourse up to this point, since it comes in every age, to every generation, on up through to the end, and so, again, these were the signs of the wars and the rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, the persecutions, and Jesus said these things were going to happen. This is the time of tribulation. These things were going to happen, but the end was not yet. And so we know then that those days encompasses that duration of time. And so Jesus is speaking of something to come after all these things. That is, after a long period of time. And so far it's been 2,000 years and counting. After this time culminating in the coming of the Son of Man... And the final judgment at the end of the age, whenever that will be according to God's perfect plan. Indeed, we are in those days leading up to the end. And we can see the difference of this contrast in another way. Jesus previously spoke of these tribulations that we endure in in two different ways. He spoke very generally uh, very general signs, again, the, the, the wars, the famines, and the disasters. And those general signs, those uh, tribulations, were going to affect everyone around the world, whether they're believer or unbeliever. And though they don't always happen all over at the same time, we know that every generation typically experiences wars and famines and disasters. But then there were very specific signs that Jesus gave, specifically for believers. This would be the persecution and the suffering that they would endure for their faith in Christ, and as well as the the temptation that they would be faced with to be led astray by false Christs and false prophets. And so there were these... This time is being described in two ways. There's the general way and then a specific way. General for all the people... In every generation, but then also specifically for believers in every generation. But the signs that Jesus now talks about, right before the end, are universal and they're cataclysmic and very extremely catastrophic. That is, they'll be seen and experienced by everyone all over the earth, At the very same time. And the effect will be that everyone, everywhere, alive at the time, is going to know exactly what's happening. Because the signs will be unmistakable. So when there's a war, it's maybe, you know, over in the Middle East. Or we hear of an earthquake in Haiti. It's not everywhere. I mean, they happen everywhere, but they don't happen everywhere all at the same time. But what Jesus is now talking about is going to happen and affect everyone, everywhere, all at the same time. Now note that there are three key cataclysmic descriptions of what will happen. And then there's a fourth that really acts as as a summation of the rest. The first is that the sun will be darkened. And then the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will fall. And the summation of all these is that the very powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now I want you to picture for a moment, if you can, what this would entail. If the sun would suddenly just right now go dark, and I'm not talking about uh, a simple eclipse as sometimes happens uh, with the sun, but it just completely goes dark. Temperatures on the earth would immediately drop and we would be freezing because the sun would not only be not giving light, but it wouldn't be giving its heat. Well, then, of course, if the sun goes dark, that means that the moon also is going to grow dark since the moon gets its light from the sun. And so what we have then is darkness all around the globe, regardless of whether it's daytime or nighttime, it's going to be dark. And of course, the darkness would be increased by the absence of the stars in the sky. So there'd be absolutely no natural light on the earth. We're reminded here, perhaps, of the maybe a, an Old Testament precursor to this was the, the thick darkness that fell upon the Egyptians as one of the plagues against them for not letting the Israelites go. And God brought this, this darkness upon them. Although the Israelite camp, they had light. And it was so dark that they could feel it. And they couldn't even see their own hands in front of them. And that's the darkness, the kind of darkness that's described here. And then the shaking of the powers of the heavens refers to these things happening. That is, the, the power of the sun, the moon, and the stars are shaken and they're, they're blotted out. And so if we follow along with the description here, it would be very, very cold and extremely dark all of a sudden, all around the world at the very same time. Now, I do want to note that we should understand that it's difficult to know just how literal we're to understand these signs. Because it is prophetic language. And we know that prophetic language often uses word pictures to describe things in a very dramatic way as a way to, to make emphasis. But whether this is to be taken literally or not, the key point that Jesus is making is that it's truly something, these events are truly something cataclysmic on a on a level never seen before so that no matter where you are on the earth you'll see and you'll experience and you'll know without a doubt that the end has come again with wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and plagues and pestilence those things happen and Jesus said, but that's not the end. Those things happen in every generation. But this is a one-time cataclysmic event that will be experienced by everyone on the earth alive at the time. In fact, any 
difficulty in understanding Jesus' words here is going to quickly be removed when these things happen, however they might happen. Now, two further things to keep in mind. First, what Jesus says here is it's actually nothing new. It's been said before at different times as a warning of what's to come. And again, we already noted that what Jesus says in these verses can be found in the Old Testament prophets. And so Jesus is simply drawing from those earlier prophecies and He's pointing the disciples and us toward their ultimate fulfillment at the end of the age. And so, for example, the prophet Isaiah used these uh, similar cataclysmic signs as coming judgment upon Babylon. Isaiah 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, anger, to make the land a desolation, and He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Therefore I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of the hosts in the day of His burning anger. Here, Isaiah is using these cataclysmic terms to describe God's coming judgment upon Babylon. Likewise, the prophet Ezekiel, again, uses the same signs to point toward God's judgment on Egypt. Ezekiel 32, verse 7, And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord. And then in Joel, a prophecy about Israel's restoration after the captivity, the prophet warns of a day coming that would bring a great terror upon the earth, a final day of judgment. In Joel 2 verse 31, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. See, Isaiah and Ezekiel speak of the signs that God's judgment is coming upon particular nations, but Joel shows that these are precursors to what will happen on the great and awesome day of the Lord at the end of the age. And so this is now what Jesus is referring to. Signs of coming judgment upon the sin and the sinners of this world. I want you to note that just after Joel declares these coming signs, he also gives a great merciful reassurance. In verse 32, he says, But those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This leads us to the second thing to keep in mind. As we remember Jesus' words of mercy and comfort to believers back In Matthew 24, verse 25, when he said, See, I have told you beforehand. The whole reason that Jesus is relating these signs to his disciples, and ultimately to us, is so that we might be ready and prepared when we see these things happening. Jesus' purpose here is to give hope and encouragement, lest his people be dismayed by these great and terrible times. And we ought not to panic when everything goes dark. Because we know that God is working out His plan for His glory and for our good. 
And this will be more fully revealed when Jesus then actually does come at the end of the age, after all these signs have been given. Look at verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now again, I, I want you to picture the, the dramatic contrast <laughs> that's given here. From the cold, dark picture given in verse 29, to now, very suddenly, in a dramatic, very clear, very visible and personal way, the glory of the Lord will break through the darkness. And all people everywhere on all the earth will suddenly see Jesus descending on the clouds with power and glory. Now there's something important to note here that again distances what Jesus is talking about with the events of 70 AD because again some want to try to put all these together that these all happened in 70 AD but back in verse 15 when Jesus was giving specific signs about the destruction of the temple he warned when you speaking to his disciples and to that generation, when you see the abomination of desolation, well then you know the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple were at hand. And so those of the generation that he was speaking to were going to see it with their own eyes. But here, Jesus speaking of his coming at the end of the age says, they... Not you, but they will see the Son of Man coming. In other words, this isn't an event that would happen in their generation, but it's going to happen in some future generation. The they refers to all people of all nations who will be alive at that time. And what is it that they'll see? They'll see Jesus. The Son of Man coming in power and glory. Now we remember the Son of Man is the title that Jesus ascribed most often to Himself. And especially we remember that He used it in reference to the predictions that He made beginning uh, in Matthew 16 shortly after uh, Peter's great uh, confession of who Christ was. That's when Jesus first gave his, his first passion prediction. Jesus used the Son of Man when He spoke of His suffering and death that was to come. Well, now He's using the same title in reference to His glorious return. Now, the title is a messianic title, and it comes from the prophet Daniel. Daniel 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. 
But we know that Christ is reigning over his kingdom. And that began at his ascension when he was seated at the right hand of God in glory. But that kingdom will become revealed more fully to all at the time of His second coming. He'll come in the clouds with great power and glory. Now here, clouds often represent in Scripture the presence and the glory of God. And so, for example, Israel in the wilderness was led by the glory cloud of the Lord. And then later, that glory cloud descended on the tabernacle of meeting. And then later, uh, the temple when it was built and dedicated. The cloud represents God's presence. And so when Jesus returns, all people everywhere will know what we already know. That the glory of the Lord doesn't reside in, in a temple, in a building somewhere, but the glory of the Lord resides in the person of Jesus Christ. And His glory will be acknowledged by all. As Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will truly be an awesome sight. You have this this cold, heavy darkness that will suddenly fall upon all the earth. But then suddenly there will be light and unspeakable glory breaking through as Jesus reveals Himself as Lord of Lords and King of Kings to all the earth. What a sign this will be. But note the response to both the signs and then also to the glorious appearance of Jesus in the clouds. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. There won't be joy. There won't be gladness and laughter or even praise, at least not at this time. But there will be great mourning, weeping and grieving at this glorious sight. Now why is this? Because it will be then that the terror of God's holiness and justice will fall upon people as they realize that the judge of all the earth has now come. And they're not ready. They're not prepared. The time for them to give an account for their lives has come. When every thought, word, and deed that they've had, spoke, or, or did in public and in secret will be brought before them and they'll stand in judgment for it. They'll now mourn because of the sin that they once gloried in will be their downfall and the reason for their judgment. And they'll mourn because they rejected the gospel proclaimed to them. They'll mourn because they rejected the God who created them and they worshipped instead and served the creature rather than the Creator. Now here Jesus is calling to mind the words of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 12 verse 10. 
Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, though Zechariah's prophecy also points to the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, the Apostle John draws the two events together. He draws together the crucified Christ and the glorious appearing of the Son of Man. And in Revelation 1 verse 7, he says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Message here is that those who crucified Christ, and not merely the Jews and the Romans of the time, but but all who remain in their sin, all who hear the gospel and who reject it, all who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, they shall mourn because the realization of their sinful error will come upon them with full force. They will know that they're condemned, and that there is now no hope for them. So they mourn and they weep, for the time of judgment has come. Now, beloved of God, this makes this great event a true time of horror for those who don't know Christ. It won't be a pleasant time. It, it certainly is not going to be a good thing for them. Which is why the warnings that Jesus gives, not only here, but, but throughout His Word, the call to repent of your sin, to, to turn away from it, and to put it to death, and to believe the Gospel. This is why this warning is so important. And why we need to continue to give it and proclaim it through the sharing and and preaching of the gospel. Because we know what's coming. We've been told. And as terrifying as worldwide darkness will be, that terror will be nothing compared to the revelation of the full glory and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. As He comes to judge the world. And so let's be diligent to warn people of this coming judgment. But at the same time, as believers in Christ Jesus, we ought not to be filled with fear and terror when these things happen for us. When we see the light and glory of Christ breaking through that very cold darkness, we ought to rejoice and give thanks. For we'll know that the fullness of our salvation has now come. Verse 31. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So the heavenly host of angels will come with Jesus and He'll send them out in all directions of the earth and gather up His elect, that is, His chosen ones. 
The ones who've been chosen before the foundation of the world of God's by God's abounding grace and mercy. Those who in time heard the proclamation of the gospel and they believed it, coming to faith in Jesus Christ and they were reconciled to God through the forgiveness of sins that Jesus secured for them. These precious elect ones will be gathered together. But those who are alive at this time as well as those who have fallen asleep, or both those who are alive and, and those who have fallen asleep will be gathered together. And this too will be a clear and visible event that all will see. Even the unbelievers. Again, making their mourning all the more grievous as they witness the gathering together of God's elect and they're not among them. And there, there's a warning for, as Jesus warns earlier, those who think they're okay, but Jesus will say to them, "I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity." How grievous it will be for them who think they're okay, who think they're saved, who, who claim the name of Christ, but they truly do not believe in Him and they do not live the way that He has called us to live. Everyone will see this. Even those who are despised and hated and persecuted believers in this life. God's elect will be gathered together. People from every generation, living and dead, will be gathered together to be with our precious Savior. The Apostle Paul describes this glorious gathering in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Again, the emphasis that Paul is noting here is that is on the, the very clear, the visible, and even the audible signs of this event. You're going to be able to see it and hear it. And I trust, be a part of it. Of the ingathering of God's elect. And indeed, this is a great comfort. It's the great hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. That the time of tribulation is going to be transformed into a time of final triumph and victory for Christ's church. The church, His bride, gathered together and made ready for the glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. We read about in Revelation 19. Indeed, it's no coincidence that the word for church in the New Testament, ecclesia, literally means it's a gathering of called out ones. And that first we're called out from sin into the marvelous light of, of God's grace and mercy. And then on this last great day, we're going to be called out and gathered together from the world with one another and with our precious Savior and Lord. 
And this will be such a glorious time of joy and gladness for us. Well, how much more so will it be for our Savior, Jesus? Again, we noted that in the previous three passion predictions, Jesus used the term Son of Man to speak of Himself and the rejection, the suffering, and the death that He would endure. And even as we had been saying about there in Psalm 102, these things were pictured. But here, here we see this Son of Man. The man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief, who was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. The one who was despised and rejected of men. And the one who was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and who endured our chastening. This suffering Son of Man now returns as the triumphant Son of Man as the Lord of lords and as the King of kings, who's come to gather His people to Himself and to sit as judge of all, both living and dead. Condemning those who don't believe to everlasting punishment and blessing those who do believe with His glorious presence forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, This is our great hope as believers in Jesus Christ. He will come for us and gather us together to be with Him. What a glorious comfort indeed. Especially when we look around and we see the darkness of our time. When we see that good is being called evil and evil is exalted as good. When we see abounding sin and lawlessness, we see hatred, idolatry, and selfishness. We see violence and persecution against God's people. We see open rebellion against, uh, rebellion against God and against His law and against even the natural created order of things. As we see all these things, don't worry. Don't fear or fret. But take heed to the words of Jesus as he, as he gives here. Because there is a sure and certain hope that this time of tribulation will pass and whether we go to Him through it or He returns to us after it, He will surely gather His people to Himself. Coming in all power and glory. Coming in victory and triumph to usher in His eternal kingdom to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the great comfort that Your Word is for us. And the instruction that is here. And it's true, Lord, at times in our weakness we struggle and we get concerned when we look at all that's going on in the world around us. But let us be reminded of these things. You're in control. You've told us beforehand that these things would happen. And may we firmly keep our eyes fixed upon You, the author and finisher of our faith, as we anxiously await for Your return on the last great day when You would gather us together unto Yourself forever and ever to be in the fullness of Your glorious presence. 
and that You will once and for all judge sin and iniquity. And so we just praise You and thank You, Lord, that You truly are the righteous judge of all the earth. And yet You abound with grace and mercy even beyond what we could possibly imagine. And so we pray, Father, that You would truly stir our hearts to be mindful of these things, that it would even press us to be faithful in our sharing of the Gospel with those around us, warning them of the coming judgment. And that those who would believe would be saved from that judgment. Father, we pray that You would especially, first of all, impress these great truths upon our own hearts. That we would truly be drawn closer to You in true and sincere faith. And that we would be given by Your grace uh, the strength to live righteous and holy lives regardless of how that may affect us and the persecutions it might bring. Give us boldness to walk in faith and preserve us on through to the end. We praise You and thank You, O Lord, for all these things. We pray that You would truly equip us, help us to be faithful as we look forward to Your glorious return. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.